0: Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, here's your
1: host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show, right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. I'm proud to say I'm in my 21st year here on Voice America, and it's a wonderful network. And this is the program that shows you how to turn your problems into solutions and your obstacles into opportunities and make your dreams come true. And today we are talking about diabetes, diabetes management and treatment. And we're talking to Dr. Charles Isle, who holds a medical degree and PhD in biochemistry from the University of Chicago. He completed a fellowship in endocrinology at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. Dr. Isle also completed a visiting fellowship in medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. A practicing endocrinologist for over three decades at South Coast Health in Southeastern Massachusetts, Dr. Isle is a member of numerous professional societies, including the Diabetes and Endocrine Society of Rhode Island, which he is president. Dr. Isle is also a retired captain in the U.S. Naval Reserve, and he is board certified in internal medicine and in the subspecialty of endocrinology and metabolism. Welcome, Dr. Isle.
2: Glad to be here.
1: Great, thanks. Um, let's talk about. I think the first thing I'd like to ask you is why is diabetes so common? We hear about it all the time. It's very common. Explain why and where. Who is it affecting the most?
2: Well, it's more common now than it was before, mostly because people are gaining weight. Um, there, are, let's first off describe diabetes. It's it's not just one disease; it's two diseases. Type one is a disease uh, due to insulin deficiency, and insulin treatment is required in order to uh, stay alive. Type two diabetes is a condition where the body is resistant to insulin, um, and Over time, uh, more and more medications are needed to reduce the uh, the, uh, resistance or use other means of getting uh, blood sugar into the cells. Uh, The vast majority of people with diabetes, like 90% have type two diabetes and the increase in weight increases the resistance. So as people are gaining weight more and more in both uh, our society and other uh, first world countries, uh, obesity has led to an explosion of diabetes.
1: Is that because of the sugar or having too much refined carbohydrates?
2: No, um, it's really due uh, to too many calories and buildup of adipose tissue. Adipose tissue is the tissue in the body which is most insulin resistant. I see. What's uh, the difference is between... absorbed, go, I'm sorry, the sugar is rapidly absorbed and will lead to spikes in blood sugar, but it doesn't cause diabetes. Okay.
1: What's the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes?
2: So type 1 diabetes is due to an insulin deficiency. The cells in the pancreas that make insulin are damaged, um, potentially by viruses or certain chemicals. Uh, A small number of people who have had pancreatic surgery or Severe cases of pancreatitis, which damages the pancreas, don't make enough insulin. And insulin treatment is required in order to stay alive. Insulin was discovered over 100 years ago, and it was a miraculous discovery and has been around for all that time. It's one of the greatest discoveries in medicine. Type 2 diabetes um, is a relative deficiency of insulin, but not an absolute deficiency. So there are medications that um, promote the release of insulin from what there is. It also, there are medicines that uh, lead to leakage of the sugar in the blood into the urine. Um, There are a lot of medical gimmicks nowadays that we have devised in order to lower blood sugar.
1: Is there any genetic component here or is it basically because people are overweight and there's obesity?
2: No, there there's a, a large degree of genetics uh, involved in diabetes. Um, roughly fifty percent of type two diabetics, di- diabetics uh, is genetic. Type one diabetic diabetes is only partially uh, genetically related, but some people may develop uh, may inherit the tendency to get type one diabetes because it's often a two hit condition, namely. Uh, they have to have the gene that makes this susceptible to a virus that damages um, the beta cells of, that make insulin. And then they have to get the virus or some other injury later in life to, in order to uh, lead to beta cell death.
1: So if it's genetic, does that mean that your body is not producing enough insulin from the beginning?
2: No, it, it, uh, I think it's more complicated than that. It, it probably leads to there, it's called a multi gene uh, disease, disease where there are multiple components. The cells that um, the insulin receptors on the cell are genetically determined. There are certain biochemical abnormalities in those receptors. And there are um, conditions that lead to decrease in those insulin receptors over time. So it, there are m- multiple components.
1: What is prediabetes?
2: So uh, diabetes is defined uh, by a group of experts, and more recently, there have been several different definitions of diabetes. But the standard definition was having a fasting blood sugar, that means before eating breakfast, of 66 to 99. Most labs determine that the normal blood sugar is 100, up to 100. Then there is another definition based on a certain blood test called the hemoglobin A1c, which is a variant of the hemoglobin molecule, which is generated by exposure to sugar. And the higher the exposure to blood sugar over a three month period will lead to a rise in this component in the blood. And most labs define a hemoglobin A1c of less than 6.0%. Everybody has this in their blood, but normal is less than 6.0. So a gray zone of 5.8 percent to six point zero percent is considered borderline and often defined as Mm pre-diabetes. And by the same token, um, if you have a fasting blood sugar that's between 100 and 125, it's called impaired fasting glucose and is also basically another term for pre-diabetes. So these are people who are not yet fully classified as having diabetes, uh, but they're on the way.
1: Is diabetes preventable, having said everything that you said, with that there's a genetic component? We're looking at the insulin. Is there anything we can do to prevent it?
2: Um, for type 2 diabetes, yes. For type 1, no. Once you've got type 1 diabetes, Unless you get a pancreas transplant, which happens in some occasions, uh, rare occasions, um, the only way to prevent type 2 diabetes is to keep your weight down um, and uh, get your blood tested periodically, either for a hemoglobin A1C or a fasting blood sugar. Once the fasting blood sugar goes over 125, that makes the category of diabetes real.
1: Now, in terms of when you said keep your weight down within normal limits, should people be eating certain foods, maybe less carbs, more protein, or what's your suggestion?
2: Uh, I think a balanced diet and um, exercise are basically the keys to uh, preventing diabetes. Certainly carbohydrates, which are broken down into sugar molecules, will lead to Absorption of uh, sugar from the GI tract, but other nutrients, uh, both uh, fats and protein, will be converted into the in the bloodstream to to sugar also.
1: What about complex whole carbohydrates like legumes or brown rice or
2: grains? So complex carbohydrates are more slowly digested into their simple uh, sugar components. So. uh, there won't lead to spikes in blood sugar as much as eating refined carbohydrates or sugars, plain sugar. Um, plain spikes in blood sugar will lead to a surge in the release of, of uh, insulin from the pancreas if it's if the pancreas is working. But over time, uh, the pancreas starts to get overloaded and can't keep up, and uh, that's what happens in type two diabetes. They can't make enough insulin to overcome the need for uh, for insulin and the um, resistance that develops in the body.
1: Dr. Isle, can someone get diabetes later in life, first onset?
2: Oh, for sure. Um, type 1 diabetes used to be called juvenile onset diabetes, but type 1 diabetes can develop at any point in life. So there, it's more typical in someone who is slender than an obese to get type 1 diabetes, but it can happen in any person and uh, any time. Type 2 diabetes, um, unfortunately, is now becoming more common even in adolescents because of the rising of of obesity in young people. So type 2 diabetes can happen all throughout basically um, mid-adolescence to full adulthood and old age.
1: All right, Well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about monitoring diabetes. We'll talk more about some of the conditions that you have seen, Dr. Isle. And we'll look more into what diabetes is, how do we work with it, and how can we live a healthy lifestyle, even if we have diabetes, type 1 or type 2. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. Dr. Charles Isle is my guest today, and he's board certified in internal medicine, and he has a subspecialty in endocrinology and metabolism, and he is a practicing endocrinologist at South Coast Health in southeastern Massachusetts. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back.
3: america at facebook.com forward slash voice america for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts psych up live with host dr suzanne phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues this show addresses topics as varied as marital stress insomnia depression raising teens campus violence and building self-resilience It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week.
0: Get Unchained. Tune in every Wednesday for Unchained TV on the Voice America Variety Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and the founder of the Unchained TV free streaming network, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Unchained TV, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
3: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: We are talking today about diabetes management and treatment. My guest is Dr. Charles Isle, who is a practicing endocrinologist for over three decades, and he practices at South Coast Health in Southeastern Massachusetts. Dr. Isle is a board certified in internal medicine and the subspecialty of endocrinology and metabolism. Welcome back, Dr. Isle.
2: Great to be with you.
1: Thank you. So... um, are there certain individuals or groups that might be at risk for diabetes?
2: Yes. Um, women who have had gestational diabetes uh, are at significant risk for having um, developed later in life when they gain weight or uh, just over time. They, they are at risk. Um, people who are Native Americans, particularly the Pima Indians who are in the southeast, southwestern part of the United States, and probably Hispanics also are at high risk. But all of them are um, developed more floridly when they gain weight.
1: Hmm.
2: Weight gain is a central factor.
1: Is is there a reason why those populations are higher at risk?
2: I think it's genetic. Um, So I don't know what the genes are. are, Those genes are being explored. Uh, Hmm. But for certain, that, that is a major component.
1: What are some of the treatments for diabetes?
2: Well, the classic treatment for type 1 diabetes is insulin. It was a life-saving treatment uh, before the development or discovery of diabetes by Banting and Best in in the 1920s. It was basically universally fatal. The only treatment available at the time was something called the Allen diet, where carbohydrates, which are broken down into sugar, were severely limited, and people could stay alive if if they had almost no sugar or carbohydrates. Insulin was a, a, a miracle discovery. Um, insulin, of course, was used for type 2 diabetes, and there were very few uh, other medications until the 60s and 70s. Um, some medications called the sulfonylurea agents became available, uh, diabonase and tolbutamide. Uh, those were early on, and then medication called metformin became available, first used in, in Europe. But then became very popular in the United States, um, probably in the 1980s. So those were the mainstays of um, diabetes treatment: glipizide. And uh,
1: uh, where are we now? How far have we come now in terms of treatment?
2: Well, there's a multi, there's a total panoply of medications, um, or more oral medications. There's injectable medications. There are a family of medications called the SGLT2. Um, the which are glucose inhibitor uh, drugs that work glucose-reabsorption inhibitors which work at the kidney and allow for sugar to leak into the urine and thereby lowering the blood sugar there are injectable medications which uh, lead to the release of insulin internally those are the so-called glp1 agents glucose-like proteins and um, they not only help people improve their diabetes but the latter two help people lose weight. So they're, they're working at multiple levels to improve patients' blood sugars. How do you monitor diabetes? Well, until oh, maybe 30 or 40 years ago, the only way to monitor blood sugar was doing a blood test. And then over the years, we've developed these uh, glucose monitors by pricking your finger and getting a small sample of blood onto a test strip, which is then read in a meter. And you can get your blood sugar monitored that way. But that's uh, a little bit painful to some people. Um, and then over the past maybe five to ten years, I'm not sure exactly when they were developed, but there are these uh, continuous glucose monitors which measure sugar in the other parts of the fluid in the blood, in the body called interstitial fluid, which are between the blood vessels. But But that's close to what the blood sugar is. And these use little probes that stick into your skin and allow the sugar to be monitored almost from minute to minute. Uh, The early ones required you to sense, place a meter or a handheld device over a sensor, which was applied to your arm typically. And you could get as many readings as you want without having to pick a finger. And then these, these devices can be brought into a doctor's office and now they can be uploaded into the internet And blood sugar can be monitored actively in a doctor's office or remotely. And you can get your sugar monitored almost instantaneously, 24 hours a day. And the devices for uh, uh, interpreting the data for these uh, devices are very helpful in interpreting patterns of blood sugars and medication efficacy.
1: So you can test this yourself?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the devices uh, can be read by the patient using what's known as a reader, or they can be uploaded into your cell phone and your cell phone can become the reading device. Um, but not only that, when you, when the patient goes to the physician's office, um, the office can upload the information and then print out the results and, and show the patient the patterns of their blood sugars, which are extremely useful in guiding treatment.
1: I bet that has saved some lives and some some trauma for people because they catch it early.
2: Well, not only that, it leads to a dramatic improvement in their blood sugars. People have a uh, an improvement in their hemoglobin A1c by a whole point or two because they now know more about their blood sugars and uh, how their medications are working. And moreover, they don't have to prick their finger, which many people were reluctant to do. Uh, mm-hmm. Furthermore, some of the Insurance companies were not often allowing patients to have enough strips to prick their blood, prick their finger multiple times throughout the day. For instance, um, patients with Medicare could only monitor their blood sugars once a day if they were on oral agents and three times a day if they were on insulin. And in order to get more uh, finger pricks, doctors had to uh, make special arrangements known as prior authorizations or there had to be special circumstances justifying getting more strips.
1: Mm-hmm. So what are the first steps to take after being diagnosed? Let's say you, you do take the test and it looks like you have diabetes or type 2 diabetes. What, what are the first steps?
2: Well, let's back up a little bit and say how our how blood sugar is measured. Well, oftentimes a patient's discovered to have diabetes when a routine chemistry panel comes back from the doctor's office and the sugar is out of range. Um, It might be that the blood sugar is tested randomly throughout the day and the blood sugar is in the mid 100s. But the best way to make the diagnosis is on a fasting blood sugar. So so if the blood sugar is greater than 125, that means the person has diabetes. Um, And the usual first recommendation is to educate the patient on what the disease is and then hopefully encourage them to become more physically active lose weight and try to eat a balanced diet which has fewer carbs or more complex carbs that are more slowly absorbed so the combination of what's known as lifestyle modifications is the earliest and first step that should be done
1: so if i'm having a regular routine physical and i have a blood panel taken by my you know my primary care physician are we testing for this
2: Yes. The blood panel, the standard, it's called a comprehensive metabolic profile, includes glucose, as well as another number of other tests, kidney function, liver tests, um, electrolytes, and so forth.
1: Okay. So what are some myths about diabetes?
2: Um, Well, I'm, I'm not sure what those myths might be, but um, it's certainly not contagious. Um, it's and, and it was, or that it was fatal. Um, insulin diabetes is certainly not fatal. Um, and it's reversible. I think many patients feel that once you have diabetes, it's a downhill course from thereafter.
1: But now, if it's uncontrolled for a long time, what are those consequences?
2: Well, diabetes has what are known as microvascular complications the small blood vessels get damaged in certain organs particularly the eyes the kidneys and the nerves so people can lose their vision they can have um, poor circulation in the extremities to the point where their wound healing is poor if they get cuts or uh, scrapes and they can have amputations um also they develop uh The small blood vessels are necessary to support the peripheral nerves and they can develop what is known as neuropathy, which is a painful or lack of sensation in the extremities, particularly the feet and hands. Um, Those are the microvascular complications. Patients with diabetes also are prone to develop macrovascular or large blood vessel uh, problems, which lead to heart attacks, strokes, and blood clots in the extremities. So Um, that there was a long-held belief that macrovascular disease could partly be prevented by lowering the blood sugar, and to some extent that is true, but not as directly uh, as the microvascular complications. We know from a lot of uh, large studies over time that the microvascular complications of diabetes can be delayed or prohibited by good diabetes control. So our our goal is to get blood sugars as low as possible, low as safely possible.
1: We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how do we um, get these blood sugar levels under control? What is what, what are healthy lifestyles? What are things that we can do on a daily basis? And we are talking to Dr. Charles who is board certified in internal medicine and in the subspecialty of endocrinology and metabolism. He is a practicing endocrinologist for over three decades at South Coast Health, which is in Southeastern Massachusetts. And, and he also is, um, He's He's been in a prof- numerous professional societies, including the Diabetes and Endocrine Society of Rhode Island, of which he is president. So we'll be back um, in a couple of minutes, and we'll talk more now about lifestyle and prevention with diabetes. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
3: America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burrows and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burroughs and Verbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, because everyone can make money in real estate. It is time to change the negative narrative of divorce. Families are hungry for a different option. Listen to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. You will discover how to function as one family living in two homes. There are high-functioning, stable, and happy divorce families living in your neighborhood. What's their secret sauce? What did their journey look like? Do they have regrets or recommendations? Let's find out. It's never too late to have a good divorce. The Good Divorce Show, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. All who live face a time of passing. Is death the end, or will souls enter an afterlife? Have you ever wondered about historical figures and what they would say if they were alive today? Psychics and authors Barry and Connie Strom will use their gift of spirit communication to answer questions and channel spirits concerning the hereafter. Tune in to Spirit Speak, Exploring the Afterlife. With Barry and Connie Strom at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: We're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. And we are talking today about diabetes management and treatment. My guest is Dr. Charles Isle, who is a practicing endocrinologist for over three decades at South Coast Health in Southeastern Massachusetts. He is board certified in internal medicine and in the subspecialty of endocrinology and metabolism. And he also is the president of the Diabetes and Endocrine Society of Rhode Island. Welcome back, Dr. Isle. Glad to be with you. All right. Let's talk about what you've seen. First of all, I'd like to talk about healthy lifestyle, you know, what that entails, and maybe a couple of stories about patients, too, you know, who've come in and who've really done well, and maybe some who haven't done well. But let's first talk about what it takes what it takes to live well with diabetes or to prevent it.
2: I like to tell patients that diabetes is a team sport that requires the participation of the patient, a physician, and some support staff, uh, typically diabetes educators, a nutritionist, uh, an ophthalmologist, a uh, podiatrist, that a combination of all these uh, specialists and uh uh, providers is necessary for optimal care. Uh, but certainly the patient is central and it requires adherence to a diet and it, it can and it also requires motivation. Uh, I think uh, uh, hopefully a good diabetes provider will tell the patient that the best cure for them or the best hope for them is to keep their sugars down as best as possible. And if they're diligent and keep up to certain lifestyles, that they'll do well. What are, the, are those lifestyles? Well, uh, exercise is a main component, and that means daily activities of some kind of aerobic um, activity, like a, a treadmill, walking, uh, jogging, um, elliptical trainer, um, Swimming even probably is good, although it doesn't burn off that many calories. It certainly maintains a good muscle tone and responsiveness to insulin. Uh, And then, of course, keeping their weight down. And that means having a scale and knowing what their their weight is. Uh, Other components of lifestyle are diet um, and eating the right kinds of food, not just um, uh, carbohydrates all the time or simple sugars or sweets or or desserts. Everybody has a a soft spot for sweets, but you have to do it in moderation.
1: What kinds of foods would you suggest?
2: Um, Complex carbohydrates. like Potatoes, for instance, are a good form of carbohydrates, which are relatively slowly absorbed. Um, Brown rice uh, and some of the legumes.
1: What about meat? What about chicken and fish? Lately, there's been a lot of talk about eating a plant-based diet. Could you eat a plant-based diet if you're diabetic?
2: Yes. Well, I mean, everyone, you need protein to live. And so there are alternate, multiple sources of protein, fish, eggs, uh, milk, uh, chicken, meats, um, So, or dairy products such as cheeses. Those all have, and eggs. I don't know if I mentioned the eggs. Those all are excellent sources of protein. Um, I don't know if you get enough, well, certainly from some um Uh, plants like uh, soy-based products like tofu, Uh, but you need some variety. So I I suppose that they'll have to find alternate sources of protein in in plants, but meat is not harmful to you. You just have to have some kind of protein in order to live.
1: Is it harder to have a plant-based diet if you're a diabetic in terms of making sure you get enough protein?
2: Um, I don't think it's any harder than for someone who's not diabetic, but, uh, I don't know about the, enough about the plant-based diets to, to say for certain, um, but you certainly need to make sure that you're getting enough vitamins and many, many vegetables and, and fruits have, uh, vitamins.
1: Now you talked about the importance of exercise. Explain to us physiologically why that's so important.
2: Yes. Um. Physiologically, exercise increases the sensitivity of muscles to insulin. So muscles are a very large component of our body tissues. So the more sugar that gets into into the muscle, the greater the benefit of of lowering your blood sugar that way. So, um, for instance, when you gain weight, uh, fat gets into a lot of the tissues. Fat gets into muscle. Fat gets into the liver. And... Those tissues are less responsive to insulin if they have fat within their components. So by being lean, uh, the muscle becomes more insulin sensitive and it leads leads to lower blood sugars.
1: What about stress management? You know, when we have anxiety or we have depression or we have any kind of trauma, can that affect our, our capacity with insulin or diabetes?
2: Um So there are certain hormones in the body which go up with stress, catecholamines and secretions from the adrenal glands called glucocorticoids, uh, which raise blood sugar. So the more stress you have, the more elevations in those hormones, which can be uh, bad for raising your blood sugar. So I don't think it would certainly cause diabetes, but it would exacerbate it if you already have it. Mm -hmm.
1: Share with us a story of a patient. I'm sure there are many, but just, uh, you know, a really great success story that um, one of them.
2: Uh, Yeah, I'll tell about a young man with type 1 diabetes who's um, a laboratory technician. And um, he is uh, very... Well educated on diabetes, and he has uh, utilized all the techniques he can to optimize his blood sugar. He he's required to take insulin, but he monitors his blood sugars very carefully. Um, he uh, frequently monitors all the all, using all the devices that we now have, and he's able to make sure that his uh, diabetes test, the hemoglobin A one C, is less than six all the time, which uh, is amazing to me and that he can do it. Um, type one disease, uh, type one diabetes is an unrelenting disease. Um, you have to be on top of it from minute to minute. Um, and you have to do it 24 hours a day and there's no let up. Um, so I'm in awe of some of the, my type one diabetics who are able to, uh, devote their intentions to it and keep their blood sugar under good control. Now, that's a type one diabetic. I have many type two diabetics who, um, based on their diet, if possible, or perhaps by a procedure, a gastric bypass, for instance, which helps them lose weight. And if they lose a great deal of weight, their diabetes can go away entirely. I've had wonderful success stories with type two diabetics who have lost weight. Mm. Nowadays, we have new medications which are highly successful in inducing weight loss so the i expect that over time more people will be losing weight with these medicines than with bypass surgery and diabetes will hopefully uh, diminish over time uh, that's that's a maybe a too idealistic or optimistic a view
1: Well, you're talking about some new things. So there's another new device that's come on the market called the bionic pancreas, which um, has eliminated the need for the finger stick test for blood. Talk about that.
2: So bionic pancreas is really just another name for a fancy version of an insulin pump. So an insulin pump is a device that contains insulin within it, often about the size of a of a beeper or a cell phone that attaches to the body. And this device has a chamber or a reservoir that holds insulin, which is then connected to the body either by a tubing or by a direct needle from the device into the skin. So it's constantly delivering insulin. And there are two means of de- uh, insulin delivery. One is a continuous uh, insulin delivery over the 24 hour time period, and then there are bursts or boluses of insulin, which are given with meals. So the biotic pancreas is one which has been, which utilizes a, a, an insulin, a um, blood sugar sensing component to measure the blood sugar. And then the, there's a little brain in this pump, which releases insulin to the bloodstream and they're they're connected to each other. So the brain in the in the device senses the sugar and releases a certain amount of insulin. So, in, in essence, it's a external uh, pancreas and it's developed, it's gotten the name bionic pancreas. It's primarily designed for people with type 1 diabetes or people who don't have the capacity to release insulin from their own pancreas. There are insulin pumps which are are available for use for type 2 diabetics but they usually require higher amounts of insulin. It's a little technically hard to administer as much insulin as a type two diabetic Mm. needs. And many insurers are not as willing to support the use of an insulin uh, pump or bionic pancreas for a type two diabetic. I see.
1: Interesting question. I want to go back to when you were talking about um, diet and, and um, you know, eating, eating well, what about alcohol? What is your recommendation for drinking alcohol if you have diabetes?
2: Well, alcohol is converted to sugar in in the blood, so it is—it's not calorie-free, but it can—it can inhibit the the uh, enzymes in the liver that are are necessary for processing um, your calories. So it has to be; it can be—you can have alcohol in moderation. Um, but it's not absolute. And uh, I think it just have, you just have to warn patients, particularly type 2 diabetics, who are on certain medications that taking alcohol could lead to um, low blood sugars temporarily.
1: We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Isle about why did he choose this specialty of diabetes and why is it rewarding for him? And we'll have more on the whole idea of diabetes and diabetes management right after the break when we come back. My guest today is Dr. Charles Isle, and he's board certified in internal medicine in the subspecialty of endocrinology and metabolism. He's a practicing endocrinologist for over three decades, and, and he is at South Coast Health in southeastern Massachusetts. And he's a member of numerous professional societies, including the Diabetes and Endocrine Society of Rhode Island, of which he is president. Stay tuned, folks. This is the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on VotesAmerica.com, America's Voice. And we'll be right back.
3: birdie told me voice america is on x follow us at voice america trn as humans we suffer when we believe we are not good enough we are taught we must be better look better try harder and achieve more we cope with the stress and disappointment of life in ways that make us feel worse and keep us stuck in a cycle of unworthiness we don't have to live this way you don't have to live this way Kirsten and her guests will share how self-acceptance and unconditional self-love can help you break this cycle and find freedom. Listen to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans, with Kirsten Johansson, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Bright Horizons College Coach, a team of former admissions and financial aid officers, the show takes a deep dive on subjects such as choosing the best essay topic, negotiating merit aid, and navigating the common app. Listeners will learn what really goes into college acceptance decisions from the experts who used to make them. New episodes drop Thursdays on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: Today our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at patriciaraskin.com. Now, back to The
1: Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. And my guest is Dr. Charles Isle. We are talking about diabetes management and treatment. Dr. Charles Eil is a practicing endocrinologist for over three decades at South Coast Health in Southeastern Massachusetts, and he's board certified in internal medicine and the subspecialty of endocrinology and metabolism. Welcome back, Dr. Eil.
2: Great to
1: be here. All right. So how did you get into this? Well, I was
2: introduced to this specialty very early on in my life. Uh, Both my parents were doctors, and when I was in high school, my parents were looking for me to do something over one particular summer, and they signed me up for a program sponsored by the Boy Scouts. And it turned about; it turned out to be a program uh, of mammalian physiology. So uh, when I took this course, which was in um, the Catskills in New York, uh, it turned out that the program was being run by some faculty at the Cornell Medical School, and these medical teachers were endocrinologists and the course was highly oriented towards endocrinology so I was exposed to endocrinology when I was a teenager and um, it kind of found some resonance with me and I was interested in endocrinology pretty much thereafter Um, and so I was interested in going to medical school and after medical school I chose to go into internal medicine and endocrinology is a subdivision Of internal medicine, which then I took some advanced training in, and I've been doing it ever since.
1: Now, is diabetes the only disease that you handle in endocrinology, or there? What other issues do you handle?
2: So, endocrinology is the study of hormones and their production and their deficiencies. So, um, diabetes happens to be uh, the major one because it's probably got the most people involved in terms of the population because it's it involves the secretion of insulin from the pancreas. But there are other endocrine organs. Uh, they, these are glands that produce uh, thyroid hormone, for instance, or uh, the adrenal glands, which release hormones that control your blood pressure and your blood sugar. Then there are the hormones that are responsible for our sexual differentiation and being men and women and having normal uh, functions in those departments. There are also hormones coming from the small gland in your brain called the pituitary gland, which um, uh, release growth hormone and hormones that produce milk production for women uh, and also lead to cycling in, in women. So, um, in fact, the pituitary gland used to be called the master gland, uh, which because it re- has so many effects on the other organs of the body. So I, I deal with, with a lot of those. Uh, a, probably a more recent focus of mine happens to be osteoporosis because much of bone metabolism is regulated by hormones and of course we're having a lot of people with bone loss these days which uh contributes to the development of osteoporosis
1: is bone loss part of the aging process or not necessarily
2: uh well there are there's gradual bone loss in both men and women um There are certain ideal standards, and the ideal standard is typically about a 35-year-old man or woman, and then um, if you were to do a bone density measurement, which requires an x-ray of your lower spine and your hip, um, your bone density is compared to the ideal standard, and how well your bones are compared to those determines whether or not you have normal bones, mild bone loss, also called osteopenia, Mm or osteoporosis Um, and over time even the ideal person will lose bone but women particularly lose bone when they go through menopause because female hormones protect against bone loss and when they no longer have female hormones there's rapid bone loss but men also men achieve a higher bone density than women um, probably because of male hormones over their entire lifespan but men men also lose bone as they get older yeah
1: but then there are hormone replacements too, correct?
2: Oh, of course. Um, there's basically a hormone replacement for every organ that makes a hormone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the answer is, is yes.
1: And there's also, there's been controversy over hormone replacement therapy as well.
2: Well, for women, uh, we used to give women uh, with osteoporosis female hormones until about 20 years ago. When it was shown through um, the Women's Health Initiative, a very large uh, study that showed that there was a slight increase in breast cancer uh, in women who got female hormones. So ever since that study was released, we don't give women standard uh, estrogens anymore on a regular basis. Uh, Other treatments are now available. Uh, Mm -hmm. Also, there's a potentially slight increased risk of endometrial cancer, which can be mitigated to some extent by giving it with another hormone or not uh, giving it at all.
1: Right. We have a few minutes left. So I'd like to ask you, what's your message to our listeners, particularly about staying healthy and being motivated? What would you like our listeners to know in terms of diabetes management and
2: health in general? Well, I think they have to take an active role in their own health. Um, If they know that they can achieve good blood sugar control by by exercise or diet or watching their, uh, using a device to measure their blood sugar, then they should do it, um, and they hopefully will find providers that will help them be uh, teammates in 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 this effort, which I have said earlier is a is a team sport. Um, so if they participate and they have a good uh, support network, uh, they can do it.
1: And so that involves eating well. We didn't talk about sleep, but sleep is part of this too, isn't it?
2: Uh, everyone needs sleep to, to refresh. Um, certain good things happen while you're sleeping. Your heart rate goes down. Uh, your metabolism slows down. So, And you hopefully don't release some of the stress hormones that are contributing to uh, elevation in the glucocorticoids I, that I mentioned earlier or the catecholamines. So... Um, Yes, you need to have a good restful sleep.
1: So sleep, nutrition, exercise, and as you said, trying to keep your stress levels down. And the other thing you mentioned is monitoring your glucose. That's important,
2: right? Monitoring sugar is uh, your uh, your numbers are very helpful and it's positive reinforcement. If they see that they're doing well uh, with these devices, they'll keep it up.
1: How is diabetes management and endocrinology changed since when you started?
2: <laughs> well, I go back a long ways. When I first started medical school, there were no glucose meters. You had to measure sugar either with a blood test or something known as a double voided urine. You, you, you urinated once, then the second specimen, will you could measure sugar in the urine. So over time, we now have fabulous methods of monitoring your sugar uh, with these newer devices, and we have wonderful medications that can allow us to achieve these uh, great results. I-, I tell patients that I can pretty much guarantee that their diabetes can be controlled and their hemoglobin A1C can be in the six range or less, um, which is the goal we have, and hopefully without having a low blood sugar, which used to be um, a real worrisome, worry part of our, our treatment because uh, we didn't have too many medications that didn't cause uh, low blood sugars.
1: So today there's a lot of hope.
2: Oh, for certain. Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Isle, for being on the program today. It was very educational, inspirational, and informational. Thank you. Really appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. Stay on the line, please. All right. Um, Today, my guest has been Dr. Charles Isle. He is a practicing endocrinologist for over three decades at South Coast Health in Southeastern Massachusetts. Remember, folks, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now.